<laughs> yeah, we're recording. <laughs> okay. Hello and welcome to the last conversation of season one. Today we have my really good friends, Eliza Urpilla and James Infante. Eliza graduated with a BA in sociology and just started his pharmacy degree at UBC. James is now working as a ministerial assistant to Lisa Baer, the Minister of Tourism, Arts and Culture in BC. Since the end of 2017 is coming to an end, and it's the big 150 for Canada, we talk about the controversial Canada 150 celebrations this year. We discuss the issues of having difficult conversations and how we, as second-generation immigrant settlers, can be allies to Indigenous folks and issues. In the second half, we talk about our experiences growing up in the Catholic school system and how Catholicism has really shaped our lives. Of course, these are just our experiences, and in no way are we saying that everyone who came from the Catholic school system feels the same as us. But for now, my name is Cecilia Federizon and you're listening to Visible Minorities. Okay, so we are back. I don't know if it's back or the beginning, but today is going to be a special episode because I have two guests. And one is James, one is Eliza, and I've known them for quite a while, since high school-ish. Well, no, I, I kind of knew of you, Eliza, in yeah. high school, but we didn't meet in, <laughs> until university. But yeah, so James, Eliza, do you want to give a quick introduction of yourself? Sure, I'm Eliza Erpilla. I just graduated at UBC with Cecilia, um, and I'm 23, and I'm Filipino. Hello. My name is James, and uh, I'm graduating, so almost done, uh, at UBC. And I was also classmates with Cecilia and Eliza, and I'm 22. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. (laughs) Okay, well, thanks for coming on the show. Um, So today, I guess what we can talk about is Canada 150, because I know, at least for James and I, we talked a lot about it, and James, you went on a boat across... A ship. A ship? Okay, yeah, you went uh, on a ship. You can put a boat on a ship, but you can't put a ship on a boat. Thank you for the clarification. There you go, it's a ship. (laughs) Um, So, there's been a lot of critique this past summer about Canada 150, and I guess just the name itself, because of... Indigenous groups and its erasure of Indigenous history and culture when we say Canada 150, that Canada has been 150 years old, when it has been in existence for way longer than colonization. I guess on Canada Day, what did you guys do? Well, I was on a ship on Canada Day in Charlottetown. I went on a trip called Canada C3. So coast to coast to coast, and it's a Canada 150 signature project. Um, An icebreaker ship started in Toronto and is making its way across the Northwest Passage all the way to Victoria, traveling for 150 days. And I was on it for 10 days. So every 10 days, a set of new people get on this ship. And there are 15 different parts. So I was on leg four, which was from Charlottetown to St. John's. I was in Charlottetown on Canada Day, and Charlottetown 
is known as the birthplace of confederation. Oh, why? Yeah, uh, well, the founding fathers of Quote Canada, unquote. <laughs> right, exactly, um, met in Charlottetown to discuss um, the Confederation of Canada. And we were there, there were fireworks, and it was a little, um, uh, it was a little, I guess you could say, uh, not bittersweet, for lack of a better term, but it was definitely a lot more reflective than just celebrating with fireworks. Uh, this trip that I was on, uh, as I mentioned, is a Canada 150 signature project, and uh, there are four themes to this trip, youth engagement, the environment, so there were scientists on board conducting experiments, youth, uh, I was uh, one of three youth ambassadors on my part, there are about 35 of us throughout all 15 parts over 150 days, um, diversity and inclusion reflected in the participants of the trip, and the last, and I would call the sort of main bedrock theme of the entire trip is reconciliation. James wanted to give a little shout out to two amazing people who were on the ship with him. Dr. Marie Wilson, who was a commissioner on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and her partner, Stephen Cuckfee, who is the past chief of the Dene Nation and past premier of the Northwest Territories. Dr. Marie Wilson and Stephen Cuckfee really helped put into perspective what the Canada C3 trip should be about. Yeah, so more meaningful than mine. Right, okay. <laughs> Eliza, what did you do? I think I just went to a friend's house. I'm not much of a party person when it yeah. comes to celebrating, you know, ce- holidays other than, like, Christmas and, like, my birthday. Yeah. But I could tell you what I thought on, like, thought about this day because I was sort of hesitant on celebrating it. Be- one, because, of course, um, of what I've learned at UBC, like, you just discussed this yeah. a while ago. But at the same time, like, what I've been seeing on social media... So what have you been seeing on social media? Of course, like I have many friends in the sociology department. <laughs> yeah. And so my news feed is filled with critiques and comments, which are very eye-opening because even though um, I study this stuff, like it's always good to hear one of my peers rather than like a professor telling me this on like mm-hmm. just a normal thing like Facebook. So Exactly what you said, like an erasure of the history of First Nations people in Canada, as well as, you know, there's no mention of what what was done to these people and how Canada actually became a nation. Um, and so when I thought about, like, should I be celebrating this? Like, should I be celebrating Canada 150 or should I be celebrating the fact that my parents came here and raised me in this country and look at how many privileges I have Um, as a 23-year-old male here in Vancouver. I don't know, I just thought of all the things that have come to me, and I just felt quite blessed to be born in Canada. And I thought about my parents' journey here, Mm -hmm. um, and how they lived in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And so, didn't celebrate Canada 150, I celebrated the fact that I'm Canadian. You know, it's a celebration, and I think it's good to sometimes just celebrate you know, yeah. and then it's not, I don't, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't want to be part of that conversation. It was uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Right. And I sort of like, I'm sweating right now because I don't <laughs> like those confrontational things, but I know it's useful to have those types of conversations online and offline. Right. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. No, yeah. I, I definitely agree because I also had very conflicting feelings on whether or not I should be celebrating Canada Day and 
because it's 150 years of colonization. And you're right, like, I also privileged a lot from being on indigenous stolen land as an immigrant, or I guess born here from immigrants, by immigrants. Yeah, you get the picture. And I've also heard a pod, oh, The Current. CBC Radio's The Current. On The Current's June 28th, 2017 episode, a segment called Can You Celebrate Canada 150 and Still Respect Indigenous Rights was released. On the segment, there were three guests present to speak about the issue. The first is Doreen Nicole, a social justice activist and freelance writer who refused to celebrate Canada 150 because she simply says that there is no reason to celebrate. She says that she can't celebrate a sliding scale of who deserves services and who doesn't, who gets help and who doesn't. Roberta Jamieson is the president and CEO of Indispire. Despite the dark histories of Canada, she celebrated the resilience of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples. The fact that her people are still here today. And finally, the co-owner of Vancouver restaurants Vidges, Rangoli, and my shanti, Vikram Vidge, was on the podcast. He was the Canada 150 ambassador who spoke at the official celebration in Ottawa. He acknowledges the problematic colonial history of Canada, but believes in its diverse inclusion today for all Indigenous folks and immigrants. It was a great conversation with many perspectives to think about, so check it out if you want to listen more to what they have to say. So, for me, I guess that took, I took that really to heart because yes, Canada has really benefited me, but then I also felt bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating that you bring that up because I too listened to that podcast. You did? Yeah. I was so excited yeah. when I was listening to it. Absolutely. The the First Nations woman in it, uh, Lillian Howard, I know her. You know she, her? Yeah, yeah. She's really great. Um, wow. She worked with the city of Vancouver to start a project called Canada 150 Plus. And, oh, uh, she was the one who started that. Um, I don't know if she had started it, but she was a part of... Uh, definitely a part of of oh, sort of that's so cool. uh, the imagination, perhaps, or part of the leadership around that project. And so it's a great project of the city of Vancouver and something that perhaps should have been thought of um, when celebrating Canada 150, really centering truth and reconciliation and Indigenous perspectives on the, the project. But I think it's really interesting to think about Canada 150 and how the conversation had come about. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a project that was established by the Stephen Harper Conservative government a number yeah. of years ago. And now the uh, current uh, Liberal government has sort of been stuck wearing it and uh, celebrating that project. So I think it's, it's actually uh, perhaps worked in the opposite way that the conservative government had thought it should be, right? Sort of thinking about Canada only as 150 years old and now has become a great space to discuss these really important topics, uh, particularly relating to the land and uh, relating to Indigenous rights. So I think the Canada 150 project is a great space and a great catalyst to have these conversations with people that haven't necessarily thought of it. And that podcast, you could really see the way in which uh, people engage on that on this particular topic. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of 
Not really, but I, I'm thinking more of, like, the white activist that was on the podcast and how she was saying, like, I don't see anything, any reason why we should celebrate because there's just been nothing good to do. It, it kind of makes me feel a little weird because she's not First Nations. I don't know, it, and she, I know that she, she is an ally and she wants to do the ally part. When is it, as an ally for whatever issue, discrimination, what, what can we do? Like, <laughs> when the First Nations woman is celebrating and then you don't want to celebrate as an ally, it kind of feels weird. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think it is, uh, maybe that was the point of the podcast to sort of contrast those two perspectives of yeah. someone who is indigenous to this land that is finding a different way to celebrate Canada 150. Yeah. Um, and someone who is a settler on this land like us, um, that is vigorously not celebrating Canada 150. But I think the term celebration is also a little bit of a weird term, of course, for the day. I think um, Canada 150 is a good place for reflection, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for reconciliation. And I think it's unfair to say that Canada hasn't done anything good in the world or for other Canadians, because I think that it has. Um, but I think it's also done a lot of negative things, too, yeah. that we need to address. And so one thing that I learned on my Canada 150 signature project on Canada C3 is the importance of truth before reconciliation and being able to bring to light these deep histories and uh, negative histories of residential schools, of the displacement of Indigenous people from their lands, and be able to reflect on that and find ways to move forward. Mm -hmm. But I think truth really does need to come out before reconciliation. People are at different places. I think you got to meet people where they're at and try to find a way to bring to light certain truths. Yeah. Well, I that makes me wonder. I mean, we're all settlers here. Mm -hmm. And um, Eliza, we were both TAs, we're teaching assistants, and we led discussion groups on um, Sociology 100, the mm -hmm. basic intros. So... I'm curious if you did or, ha like, how how did you incorporate First Nations issues into your um, discussions? discussions? Well, first of all, no one in my... Dis I've had maybe four discussion sections. Yeah. No one has ever self-identified as First Nations Métis or anything like that. Oh, really? Um, I guess me neither. No yeah. one has self-identified, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, so I was given the independence to design these discussion sections right yeah um we did talk about residential school system and the systemic racism that happened um in canada towards these uh towards um first nations people but i felt and this is because of who i am mm -hmm. like if i were to bring up such a controversial issue that i myself was not comfortable enough to talk about within my own discussion section i don't think it would have been a good discussion at all I could mm -hmm. not have facilitated anything like that because even though I've gone um, to UBC for, you know, X amount of years, even though I've heard UBC is on, like, um, what's it called? Musqueam territory. Yeah. Unceded um, Musqueam like, territory. You know, that spiel that we do that um, that we want to say just to respect where the land that we're on, like, even though I've experienced that, I've seen, you know, all this art 
uh, made by these people. Like, like I feel like I can talk about it, but I can't do anything. Yeah. Oh my gosh, like, I'm pressured to do something, but I don't yeah. know what to do. And I think that's a really important thing to bring up because a lot of allies... I, I, I'm thinking more so of, like, white people in terms of racialized issues. It, it's hard because, you know... There is a lot of critique on the prevalence of whiteness, but then what are you supposed to do when you are in when you are in a position? Because and and I think this also goes along with, you know, there is a lot of critique, but you don't know what to do. You're born with this skin, and mm. you can't really help in a I guess symbolic way with people of color because you know inherently you're born with white skin you want to help I'm guess I'm guessing you want to help right that feeling of wanting to help you want to be an ally but you don't know what to do because no one's telling you what you can do as an ally it is hard because we don't really have those discussions either we are only having the discussions on why this is wrong. We don't really have an in-depth conversation of what we can do, especially at university, I think. Mm -hmm. You know what? Like, I've taken multiple courses that have have specifically taught us about Indian residential schools, like uh, multiple sociology courses and plus linguistics, okay? And like with linguistics, it's like, oh, like language revitalization is so important. Um, let's do a paper on it and let's talk about it. Yeah. But like, what can a paper do? Like, I'm just getting a mark for it. And like, we talk about this in Intro to Sociology and in like, like multiple other courses, but like I said it before, awareness is great, but like, can I, can I do something? Like, what is the most unproblematic thing I could do to yeah. help? Or like, do I send, do I like put a Facebook post? Do I engage in online activism? Or do I help my own community first? But when it comes to first, like this is like the top thing that makes me nervous. It's like when this stuff pops up. Oh, okay. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Like, acad like academia and like paired with this, it just, I, I freeze up. That's my reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is a totally valid reaction. Yeah. And again, like a lot of conversations in like the left, quote unquote, or like the progressive movement is that you know, if you if you don't say the right things, you're automatically called out and you're shamed for it. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of sets this fear in, you know, people who are who consider themselves progressive to not talk about certain issues that they want to learn more about or to want to do something about it as an ally. James, I, I feel like you want to say something. I do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think we've talked about a lot of really important things and you know, even coming back to that first point that you had mentioned around being ready with the tools to have a conversation around this, both of you as teachers, as teaching assistants, as, as educators um, for first year students at UBC, I think that, uh, that that's also really important to address. And I think that's where the role of academia comes into play around how we can better supply young people or people in general to have these conversations because I think that that is a great place to start. I mentioned earlier about meeting people where they're at. I think you also need to start there. Where um, can you contribute into a 
kind of different kind of thinking, whether that's a different kind of politics or a different kind of way of life that's more environmentally friendly, more sustainable, perhaps? Uh, how can we start tackling these really big issues that are really nebulous, right? Sometimes it seems really overwhelming. And, and like you mentioned, Eliza, people have lives to live and this is one of many problems that we need to address in our society and uh, is a great place to talk about how intersectional these these oppressions are, or these problems are, of uh, the oppression of Indigenous people and the inequality we see between uh, the rich and the poor in Canada, which continues to grow. So I think uh, there are some answers in what you've both already mentioned around being able to listen being open to being uncomfortable about these conversations, I think, is also mm-hmm. part of what can help to make things easier moving forward or how we can move forward at all. And uh, again, I'll continue to speak to my experience on that uh, crazy ship at C3, but we also call it coast to coast to coast, but also crazy, 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 because <laughs> there's so many things that uh, we were involved with. And, you know, one of the biggest learnings of that trip was the importance of listening, the importance of stepping back and allowing for a space where voices that haven't been heard before, like Indigenous people, are centered. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there are some really, you know, this is now me as a political science student getting all political science, but I think there are steps that you can take, tangible steps, um, in the way that we form our politics, in the way that we talk to our family members, to our friends about these issues, in the ways that we can be an ally to... Uh, step up in cases where a Indigenous person uh, may need allyship or step back in places where we need to create more space for those kinds of voices. And that's not to undervalue our voices as also marginalized people, as first-generation Canadians or racialized people, but I think that uh, you need to sort of start with that inward reflection, that introspection, Mm -hmm. and, you know, being okay with being uncomfortable and with listening and seeing what fits into your life best, right? Like you mentioned, there's so many different things that, uh, that also people have on their minds and, you know, Indigenous people the same way, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're not only thinking about Indigenous rights, they're also trying to think about their future and how to put food on the table. And, uh, that's why I think that these issues are really intersectional. See, like, this is the first time I've ever had a conversation about this topic. First Nations people? Yeah. Like, a conversation with my friends. Mm. And so, like, this stuff never pops up in my day-to-day lives. In high school as well, there was no talk of the residential school system. There was just, like, you know, like, what we'd learn in social studies, like, um... Yeah, in social studies. Like, you know, like, what kind of food they would eat. Or, like, see, that's what I remember. Right. right. Pemmican? Pemmican. Yeah, see, I remember I that too. Bannock. Pemmican. Ba- and... Yeah, yeah. See, I don't... And that's right. not the people. I had no exposure. And so once I got into academia, I was like, whoa, like this actually happened? Like, I feel so bad for all the years that I haven't known that. Mm-hmm. Okay? And how ignorant I was. Fast forward to now, like, I'm actually talking about this, but it's the actual first time I'm talking about it. Right. Yeah. Well, well yeah. I think especially since you you were very uncomfortable with talking about an issue that you don't personally relate with. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. So you were uncomfortable with this topic, and this is the first time you've actually had an honest conversation. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, and I think 
I think it's because I read this article recently on how the progressive movement is kind of like church where you have to be seen as very pure and very knowledgeable about everything. And then if you don't act a certain way or if you don't say a certain thing correctly, you're going to be punished. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very problematic within the progressive group because we're supposed to be helping each other learn we're supposed to be helping each other fight all the oppressions that exist in the world Mm -hmm. and it is unfortunate you know and so relating to that point when i felt uncomfortable about a topic that i don't personally personally relate but i had to step up as an ally was when a friend a recent friend of mine like a new friend who you know, is not well-versed in the progressive jargon, blah, blah, blah. And he he was just very curious and he was just very honest. He asked me, so, Cecilia, I, I just, I know it might sound weird, but do gay, do gay people, do bi people, do trans people choose to be trans? And of course, like, I'm, I'm a straight cis woman who obviously has no experience in this, but I had to say something, right? <laughs> What we're all speaking about is is uh, really important, and it comes back to being able to be uncomfortable about addressing some of these topics, right? Yeah. Similar to what your friend being being able to be vulnerable as individuals, being able to be okay with our emotions, feeling sad about what happened in residential schools, and being able to realize that these children deserve our tears, being a part of or going through what they have gone through. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, again, that's why it's so important that we think about education and think about putting young people into spaces where they're exposed to these different conversations around uh, LGBTQ uh, plus issues, around issues relating to Indigenous people, because that's when we're able to understand these topics and not feel as afraid to talk about them. And I also think that uh, us as allies, as friends, we or the world needs to be able to act with more empathy and be able to be more caring and be a lot more forgiving about each other's mistakes, not to underplay mistakes that have happened in the past that uh, continue to occur. But I think that that is somehow really the only way forward when we think about how, what can we do now, right? And what can I do with this anxiousness that I feel now that I know, right? And now that you know, you can't unknow. And so the responsibility is now on us as uh, people of privilege, people educated to take that forward, right? Yeah, so this is a great conversation. We're gonna take a little break and then we're gonna continue. We talked a lot about what we should do about indigenous issues as allies. So here are some suggestions on a good starting place. Firstly, we should understand and support UNDRIP, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And as Canadians, we can look at the 94 calls to action in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. These are concrete actions we can take, and we can apply those suggestions in our work, studies, and everyday lives. These documents are open to the public, so it's super easy to access. It's our responsibility to keep learning and educating ourselves. We can't turn a blind eye on these issues. Anyways, so we're back. And one of the things that James, Eliza, and I have in common is that we went through the Catholic school system through kindergarten to grade 12. 
What were your guys' experience? Well, from what I can Did remember, you enjoy it? Well, from what I can remember, <laughs> um, I received some sacraments. That's like the huge difference between public school and Catholic school. You receive... First, I was baptized. That's how I even got into the elementary school. Mm-hmm. Then I got received First Communion. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, it's when you first receive the the bread and it's blessed and you get to eat it so you eat that in grade two yeah and then you go to confession every now and then every year you tell the priest what you've done you <laughs> see i don't remember anymore <laughs> you, 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 you tell him the act of contrition which is like please forgive me father and then you say these are my sins and then you go through yeah. your sins and he's like, oh, okay, you are forgiven. See, but that's and the, here's your penance. That's the thing with Catholic school. Like, they tell you what sins are, and then you have to categorize what you've done as a sin, and then you tell the priest. You categorize it? Like, I've never categorized well, it. Well, how are you supposed to know what what you've done? Is it a sin or not? Yeah. Like, I'm telling... Oh. Like, I'm like, you just have to think about your actions. Like, was this yeah. a sin? Yes or no. Was this a mortal sin? Yes or no. Was this a oh, video sin? Oh, mortal sin, sin? Yes no. and, like... Both of you remember your catechism way too yeah, well. Yeah. Okay, well, okay, remember, I, I won the most Catholic prize oh, in grade 12. Oh, well done. So, <laughs> I know a lot. <laughs> okay, and then this is where, like, and then yeah. grade 7, you get confirmed. So, like, the Holy Spirit, you're blessed with the Holy Spirit, and you get confirmed with a saint that you choose. So, I chose yeah. St. Cecilia, the patron saint of music. What? And wow. I guess she helped me, like... If she truly does exist, I guess she helped me with my <laughs> musical journey exist. because I don't know I love singing still and I sing a lot. Yeah. Um. So in the fast forward to high school, it's just you go to school, you learn about, you learn more about your religion, you you read more of the Bible, you interpret the text together with your classmates. That was it for my spiritual journey. How about now? How did how did that affect you at well, twenty three? I, I still go to mass every almost every Sunday with my mom, but you know the ritual is there. I go. But my heart really, it's not as in tune with my religion. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because I don't feel Catholic, like super Catholic. Yeah. And I know there have been many problematic, problematic things about being a smorgasbord Catholic where you just <laughs> choose what to do. Yeah. You do what's um, convenient for you. Yeah. Fair um, weather fan. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you only go to mass on these days. You only follow these rules. That's the thing. That's why I stepped away because I don't think I can commit. And so yeah. why should I be a, why should I call myself, like, Roman Catholic if I don't follow all the rules? Yeah. Right? If I'm not immersing myself in the institution of the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. Right? I could say, could I say that I believe in, like, some hi- some higher being? Sure, because, I don't know, I just feel that way. I can't explain it in words. There's no words for that. Yeah. Right? Um... But when it comes to practicing that faith that I have been, that I've grown up with, that has been indoctrinated in me, like, <laughs> I I can't commit to it because now I know how to think for myself. I feel like I feel the same way, where it's like, I, I believe there is, like, some kind of higher being. And I guess it, it is also because I was very Catholic and I practiced, like, every every Sunday... Actually, the only thing that I didn't agree was the homosexuality thing, but I just ignored that part of... (laughs) That whole bit. (laughs) I just ignored that in the Catholic Church. But other than that, I was was pretty much... I was a very good Catholic girl. But now, again, like, you... you, I, I can think for myself now that I don't think I necessarily 
agree with a lot a lot of things that the church claims to be but I feel like a lot of the morals in terms of like loving your neighbors I still believe in that part how about you James yeah thanks for giving me a great catechism refresher on (laughs) the uh, different sacraments and uh, uh, rituals yeah I relate very closely with both of you uh, in that Catholicism or religion in general is a institutionalized religion is way out of style. (laughs) You know, uh, that uh, rituals exist as a form of comfort. And I think that for me, I see going to church uh, when I do go as a community event. It's something to bring people together. Our experience in Catholic school was perhaps a more in-tune experience of something that connects us all, right? Not Mm -hmm. that that doesn't happen outside of Catholic school. You know, different schools will have different ways to connect students and parents and teachers all together. Sports, choir, singing, things like this. We just happened to have one central piece, which was religion, that connected all the students and parents and teachers together. So for me, religion and growing up in a Catholic school was enriching. It was enriching in that it gave me a set of values. It made me reflect on how much I should care about others. And there were, I think, some really key values that come with being a religious person, that come with being a spiritual person. I think I think other kinds of religious-focused schools also have that, whether it's a Sikh school or it is a school, you know, a Jewish school is, you know, school uh, uh, focus in Islam as well. I think that those values are very important, values of spirituality. It's uh, actually just last night I was speaking about a CNN special edition uh, thing with Reza Aslan, who is this Mm -hmm. prolific religious sort of researcher. And he talked about in all the main religions, one of the main things that connects them, the sort of overarching... The golden rule. Yeah, the golden rule is, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. So I think that there are those values that were really important to me in grounding me as an individual, as someone who wants to make the world a better place. And that was just focused in Catholicism. Uh, Others may have had other ways to get to that point as well. So you mentioned choir and that like made my heart jump. Like this choir and singing um, is what makes me is what still connects me with the concept of God. Mm-hmm. Music makes me really happy, and I grew up with Catholic music. I still remember all the hymns from Mass. Me too. Today, I'm going to choir practice for a wedding. Like, that's how much I love music. And wedding songs, are about God. They're about, you know, that's what still connects me with some sort of higher being, and that's why I still feel sort of spiritual, because just came back from Portugal, and we sang many, many songs, um, both secular and religious, and my favorite was Hosanna, and mm-hmm. then the lyrics were, let the weak say I am strong, let the poor say I am rich, let the blind say I can see um, what the Lord has done in me. Yeah. And so whenever I sing that, I feel so blessed to have, you know, traveled in many countries, I feel so blessed to have the family that I have, the life that I've lived, and like, how could all of this like line up, you know, yeah. if it wasn't for some something else? Whenever I sing, whenever I think of music, both secular and religious, like, I feel connected. Maybe it's St. Cecilia, like, flying around me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the point about being connected to something greater than yourself is definitely true. I, I think it's 
beautiful that people can be moved so much through various means, right? Whether that's singing, um, being a part of a team in a sport or being out in nature. I think people Mm -hmm. connect in different ways. Um, and I think that that's important. And, uh, earlier we spoke about empathy and I think that religion has a key role or some kind of spirituality, being able to think beyond the self, uh, is really important. And so it's funny that, uh, you know, we're having this conversation because just like earlier this week, I was talking about that, you know, spirituality and what I think about it and going to Catholic school. And so, yeah, I've had a lot of time to think about it and taking different courses, making me question things and examine, uh, oneself is, really important and so I always think about it in a weird way I sort of think like what makes people not want to just stop life or you know uh be super greedy right or or um not that there aren't people like that already but uh um what makes people continue uh in the way that uh, they do and I think that a lot of it has to do with this sense of connection mm-hmm. and being connected and whether that's to each other or you know, just as importantly to our environment and the way that we treat each other and the way that we treat the environment, I think, goes hand in hand. And those two things are really important when we think about spirituality, when we think about a higher being and that, uh, yeah, it's important mm-hmm. to think about in those terms. The topic started off with, you know, we went going to school in the Catholic school yeah. system. But like, you know, I've been to Thailand, I've been to China, yeah. been to Guatemala. Yeah. So in those three different countries, like China, in China, in China, like it's mostly secularized. In Guatemala, mostly Catholic slash Protestant, mm-hmm. um, and in Thailand, it's like predominantly Buddhist. Okay, and that makes me think. Like having gone there, um, it just opens up my mind to, and like I under now understand that the Catholic system isn't the only one, and that's what I sort of just grew up with. Yeah, and it's not the best one. Like yeah. there were homilies in in some of my, some of the masses that, at the church that I've gone to, saying that, you know, Catholicism is the truth. But after my experience, after these experiences, I don't think that's the case. Everyone has their own belief. Everyone is in their own belief system. Yeah. And so this way of thinking and this way of living, this way of being as a Catholic is the way, the truth, and, like, like, I don't think, I don't, I'm not convinced, because there are so many people in this world. Yeah. There are so many ways of living, and so many ways of connecting to land and each Mm -hmm. other, that Catholicism misses, right? It doesn't hit every part, it doesn't make everyone happy. Yeah. So how can that possibly be the truth? If our conception of God is, like, a God that is supposed to, you know, be there for us. Like, how, how is that possible? I wish there was, like, a... Is there, like, a Buddhist system school here in well, Vancouver? Or it's public and know. Catholic, right? Or a Protestant? I don't know. But definitely Catholic schools and Christian schools are more prevalent in terms of religious schools. And that's probably because of colonialism and European yes. settler, settlerism. Settler? whatever but you get the point and i think yeah i'm not sure if there's a lot or any maybe maybe there are a few but they're not really popular of like other religions high schools right there's yeah. um there's a khalsa school there's a there's what khalsa it's called khalsa but it's predominant it's like the religion there is sikh like okay. they're all sikh there but other than that i don't know other schools with different yeah religions 
And that's interesting because, Mm -hmm. you know, you have the kids in Vancouver and Lower Mainland growing up. And are they only going to be raised Catholic? What if they go out like me to the world and see all these other, you know, cool religions, cool Mm -hmm. ways of being? Yeah. James, you were laughing. Yeah, no, I mean, Catholicism is one truth that we choose to believe in, right? There are many truths. I uh, don't think the world's figured it out quite yet, but, uh, you know, I'm, and other religions, you know, see it the same way mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, Judaism, Islam, Sikhism is the only way forward. I haven't uh, read too much of it, but I'm sure there's something to that effect, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think you sort of choose the truth that you want to go with and you sort of live your life to the best that you can. I think it's just unfortunate that there are some people who really believe that there is just one religion and there is just one way of living. It's kind of sad, especially like friends that I've had since I was like five. It's just kind of sad to see that like to a lot of people, there's no other way of living and that other ways of living is like wrong. wrong. I don't blame them. Yeah, they think that way. Like, that's, you know, I'm sure many, when the world was less connected, that that's definitely the way that uh, one would think. But I think because the world's more connected, that we have this newer perspective, perhaps, of being more inclusive of different faiths and spiritualities and systems of really knowledge, right? Different systems of knowledge. So... I don't blame them for thinking that way, that, that right? Many people think that way. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of sad to what, me. Why do you think it's sad? I don't know. It was not very inclusive, like what you were saying. There's not really an open... They're not open to understanding other people's beliefs and understanding other people's truths, which I find kind of disheartening in some way. Because in some way, there is in that empathy there that's a little confusing for me because we're like in an urban setting and we see people from different walks of life different beliefs and i don't i think it's hard to like not encounter someone who with a different belief like especially like on the bus like you could see people you could tell you could tell if someone is sikh right Mm -hmm. they're wearing turban but you know I'm, i'm reminded of how um, institutionalized the catholic system what was here before because you I know i think it still is no because like um you know saint paul's hospital that used to be oh, yeah. run by the catholic system yeah. in vancouver yeah i mean so, really, geez, the hospital system the education system oh education yeah yeah Resi- catholicism back to residential, residential schools, schools. yeah and i think it's also a good place to talk about like the privilege of being born and raised in a cis uh, in a faith system that aligns with Perhaps the, you could say the majority of majority, I'm using your yeah. quotes, uh, but a more t- tolerable system that where you aren't necessarily already othered by yeah. the, what you wear or othered in the fact that, you know, Catholicism was something that was integrated into, you know, government. They administer services, right? Catholic, mm-hmm. talk about Catholic uh, hospitals. There are public Catholic schools in Ontario, yeah. And so, oh, yeah. you know, the, I think there is a privilege to, to that. And you mentioned, you know, spe- uh, seeing other other people wear their religion, right? That's another sort of privilege in that we don't necessarily wear our religion now, whether that's, you know, perhaps definitely a privilege in Vancouver and on the bus. There are other sort of things where perhaps that isn't a privilege in different dynamics of power between that. Yeah, I think it's also important to recognize Mm-hmm. This the belief system which we've grown up in privileges us in 
a particular way. Okay, so thank you for being on it. On thank the you. Podcast. Thank you, too. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye. And that's the end of our conversation with Eliza and James. But I still need to ask them one more thing. If you're new to the podcast, I like to finish off my conversations by asking my friends what piece of media they've recently read, watched, or listened to that they would recommend to others. I started this podcast by thinking of ways to challenge mainstream media's representation of certain groups. And I wonder what my friends say is a good piece of media that says something positive about us minorities. So, what did they say? Me first? Okay. Yeah. So on YouTube, you could search up um, Try Not to Cry Challenge. (laughs) So you search that up and it should be um, like a compilation of Thai life insurance commercials. (laughs) And so the reason I watch these things is one, to feel human and to sort of flush all my tears out every now and then. (laughs) I'm a pretty sensitive person, but I also like, I also enjoy watching these videos, even if they force you to cry. Because mm-hmm. they tell really um, touching stories, even mm-hmm. if they're like ads for Nestle or like Ice <laughs> or something like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. or life insurance. Those are the types of YouTube videos that I really, really enjoy. And there are like a lot of views. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone can pass without crying. So <laughs> um, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. So do it. Try not to try. I think it's try <laughs> not to cry. Um, I'm gonna nerd out because I consume way too much media but <laughs> i've got three i've got three recommendations oh my god the first I, well is that not allowed no, that's, only that's have to pick totally one. fine well, the first is a podcast other than listening to this uh religiously uh you should also <laughs> listen to the current because i think it's the only podcast that is canadian focused that covers issues that aren't necessarily discussed in canadian mainstream media super awesome CBC is the current with Anna Marie Tremonti. Oh yeah, that's also a wicked name. Like I love. Her name. I know, I it's really so like cool. her name. And like people will like say it out loud, you know, and it it rolls off the tongue really well. The other is Moonlight. I haven't watched it recently, but when I did, it's one of my, you know, uh, it really stuck with me. One of my favorite movies. Uh, I always like watching things and consuming media where it makes you think big, and makes you question things. And you're able to pull a great lesson from it or learn something. From my trip, from my Canada C3 trip, I have gotten a great amount of more appreciation for art and for media. Thanks to Hela, who was our resident artist for my part of the trip for inspiring me to, to think of things more critically and to appreciate art more. And the other that I watched just two nights ago was Arrival. It came on to Arrival? Netflix. Arrival? Have you heard of that movie? No. Arrival is like when these aliens come and this linguistics professor is meant to chat with these aliens and figure out why they're there. And it is a great movie to learn about communication, about time, and oh, another great segue from our discussions before about empathy. So check it out, Arrival. I feel like we should be paid for this. I feel like the theme here is empathy. Oh yeah. Yeah, in our media, in in Catholicism, and in topic, and uh, with First Nations. And that's it for this episode of Visible Minorities. Thank you to Eliza and James for being on the podcast with me. Now, this may be the last conversation for the season, but there's still one more special episode next week. I've spoken to a bunch of my friends and asked a lot of questions. 
So next week, it'll be my turn to answer your questions. If you do want to ask me something about the podcast, my politics, or my experiences, you can fill out the survey on my website, ceciliafederizon.ca, by Friday, November 24th, 2017. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and or Google Play. Next week is the season finale, so until then, we'll talk soon.